Thank you so much to my amazing Patreon subscribers, Lynn, David, Elise, Margaret, Nela, Mike, Robbie, and Allison. Your support and encouragement are what keeps me going. Welcome back to my relaxing literature podcast. If you are enjoying this podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast platform of choice. Tonight, we're continuing our reading of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain. Chapter 25 There comes a time in every rightly constructed boy's life when he has a raging desire to go somewhere and dig for hidden treasure. This desire suddenly came upon Tom one day. He sallied out to find Joe Harper, but failed of success. Next, he sought Ben Rogers. He had gone fishing. Presently, he stumbled upon Huck Finn, the red-handed. Huck would answer. Tom took him to a private place and opened the matter to him confidentially. Huck was willing. Huck was always willing to take a hand in any enterprise that offered entertainment and required no capital, for he had a troublesome superabundance of that sort of time, which is not money. Where'll we dig? said Huck. Almost anywhere. Why is it hid all around? No, indeed it ain't. It's hid in mighty particular places, Huck. Sometimes on islands, sometimes in rotten chests under the end of a limb of an old dead tree, just where the shadow falls at midnight, but mostly under the floor in haunted houses. Who hides it? Why, robbers, of course. Who'd you reckon? Sunday school superintendents? I don't know. If it was mine, I wouldn't hide it. I'd spend it and have a good time. Well, so would I, but robbers don't do it that way. They always hide it and leave it there. Don't they come after it any more? No, they think they will, but they generally forget the marks or else they die. Anyway, it lays there a long time and gets rusty. Pictures and things, you know, that don't seem to mean anything. Have you got one of them papers, Tom? No. Well, then, how are you going to find the marks? I don't want any marks. They always bury it under a haunted house or on an island or under a dead tree that's got one limb sticking out. Well, we've tried Jackson's Island a little, and we can try it again sometime, and there's the old haunted house up on the stillhouse branch, and there's lots of dead limb trees, dead loads of them. Is it under all of them? How you talk? No. Then how are you going to know which one to go for? Go for all of them. Why, Tom, it'll take all summer. Well, what of that? Suppose you find a in gray or a rotten chest full of diamonds. How's that? Huck's eyes glowed. That's bully. Plenty bully enough for me. Just you give me the hundred dollars, and I don't want no diamonds. All right, but I bet you ain't gonna throw off on diamonds. Some of them's worth twenty dollars apiece. There ain't any, hardly but it's worth six bits or a dollar. No, is that so? Certainly. Anybody'll tell you so. Hain't you ever seen one, Huck? Not as I remember. Oh, kings have slathers of em. Well, I don't know no kings, Tom. 
I reckon you don't. But if you was to go to Europe, you'd see a raft of them hopping around. Do they hop? Hop? Your granny, no. Well, what did you say they did for then? Shucks, I only meant you'd see them, not hopping, of course. What do they want to hop for? But I mean, you'd just see them scattered around, you know, in kind of a general way, like that old humpbacked Richard. Richard? What's his other name? He didn't have any other name. Kings don't have any but a given name. No? But they don't. Well, if they like it, Tom, all right. But I don't want to be a king and have only just a given name. But say, where do you suppose we're going to dig first? Well, I don't know. Suppose we tackle that old dead limb tree on the hill to the other side of the stillhouse branch. I'm agreed. So they got a crippled pick and a shovel and set out on their three-mile tramp. They arrived hot and panting and threw themselves down in the shade of a neighboring elm to rest and have a smoke. I like this, said Tom. So do I. Say, Huck, if we find a treasure here, what are you going to do with your share? Well, I'll have pie and a glass of soda every day, and I'll go to every circus that comes along. I bet I'll have a gay time. Well, ain't you going to save any of it? Save it? What for? Why, so as to have something to live on by and by. Oh, that ain't any use. Pap would come back to Thistertown some day and get his claws on it if I didn't hurry up, and I tell you, he'd clean it out pretty quick. What are you going to do with yourn, Tom? I'm going to buy a new drum and sure enough sword and a red necktie and a bull pup and get married. Married? That's it. Tom, you... Why, you ain't in your right mind. Wait, you'll see. Well, that's the foolishest thing you could do. Look at Pap and my mother. Fight? Well, they used to fight all the time. I remember mighty well. That ain't anything. The girl I'm going to marry won't fight. Tom, I reckon they're all alike. They all comb a body. Now, you think better about this a while. I tell you better. What's the name of the gal? It ain't a gal at all. It's a girl. It's all the same, I reckon. Some says gal, some says girl. Both right, black enough. Anyway, what's her name, Tom? I'll tell you sometime. Not now. All right, that'll do. Only if you get married, I'll be more lonesomer than ever. No, you won't. You'll come and live with me. Now stir out of this and we'll go to digging. They worked and sweated for half an hour. No result. They toiled another half hour. Still no result. Huck said, Do they always bury it as deep as this? Sometimes. Not always. Not generally. I reckon we haven't got the right place. So they chose a new spot and began again. The labor dragged a little, but still they made progress. They pegged away in silence for some time. Finally, Huck leaned on his shovel, swabbed the beaded drops from his brow with his sleeve, and said, Where are you going to dig next after we get this one? I reckon maybe we'll tackle the old tree that's over yonder on Cardiff Hill back of the widow's. I reckon that'll be a good one. But won't the widow take it away from us, Tom? It's on her land. She take it away? Maybe she'd like to try it once. Whoever finds one of these hid treasures, it belongs to him. It don't make any difference whose land it's on. That was satisfactory. The work went on. By and by, Huck said, Blame it, we must be in the wrong place again. What do you think? 
It is mighty curious, Huck. I don't understand it. Sometimes witches interfere. I reckon maybe that's what the trouble is now. Shucks. Witches ain't got no power in the daytime. Well, that's so. I didn't think of that. Oh, I know what the matter is. What a blamed lot of fools we are. You gotta find out where the shadow of the limb falls at midnight, and that's where you dig. Then consound it, we fooled away all this work for nothing. Now hang it all, we gotta come back in the night. It's an awful long way. Can you get out? I bet I will. We gotta do it tonight, too, because if somebody sees these holes, they'll know in a minute what's here, and they'll go for it. Well, I'll come around and mow tonight. All right, let's hide the tools in the bushes. The boys were there that night, about the appointed time. They sat in the shadow, waiting. It was a lonely place, and an hour made solemn by old traditions. Spirits whispered in the rustling leaves, ghosts lurked in the murky nooks, the deep bang of a hound floated up out of the distance, an owl answered with his sepulchral note. The boys were subdued by these solemnities and talked little. By and by they judged that twelve had come. They marked where the shadow fell and began to dig. Their hopes commenced to rise, their interest grew stronger, and their industry kept pace with it. The hole deepened and still deepened, but every time their hearts jumped to hear the pick strike upon something, they only suffered a new disappointment. It was only a stone or a chunk. At last Tom said, It ain't any use, Huck. We're wrong again. Well, but we can't be wrong. We spotted the shatter to a dot. I know it, but then there's another thing. What's that? Why, we only guessed at the time. Like enough it was too late or too early. Huck dropped his shovel. That's it, said he. That's the very trouble. We gotta give this one up. We can't ever tell the right time, and besides, this kind of thing's too awful here at this time of night, with witches and ghosts a-fluttering around so. I feel as if something's behind me all the time, and I'm afraid to turn around, because maybe there's others in front awaiting for a chance. I've been creeping all over ever since I got here. Well, I've been pretty much so, too, Huck. They most always put in a dead man when they bury a treasure under a tree to look out for it. Lordy! Yes, they do. I've always heard that. Tom, I don't like to fool around much where there's dead people. A body's bound to get into trouble with them, for sure. I don't like to stir them up, either. Suppose this one here was to stick his skull out and say something. Don't, Tom. It's awful. Well, it just is, Huck. I don't feel comfortable a bit. Say, Tom, let's give this place up and try somewhere else. All right. I reckon we better. What'll it be? Tom considered a while and then said, The haunted house. That's it. Blame it, I don't like haunted houses, Tom. Why, they're a darn sight worse than dead people. Dead people might talk, maybe, but they don't come sliding around in a shroud when you ain't noticing and peep over your shoulder all of a sudden and grit their teeth the way a ghost does. I couldn't stand such a thing as that, Tom. Nobody could. Yes, but, Huck, ghosts don't travel around only at night. They won't hinder us from digging there in the daytime. Well, that's so, but you know mighty well people don't go about that haunted house in the day nor the night. Well, that's mostly because they don't like to go where a man's been murdered anyway. But nothing's ever been seen around that house except in the night. Just some blue lights slipping by the windows. No regular ghosts. 
Well, there you see one of them blue lights flickering round, Tom. You can bet there's a ghost mighty close behind it. It stands to reason, because, you know, they don't anybody but ghosts use them. Yes, that's so. But anyway, they don't come around in the daytime, so what's the use of our being afeard? Well, all right. We'll tackle the haunted house if you say so, but I reckon it's taking chances. They had started down the hill by this time. There, in the middle of the moonlit valley below them, stood the haunted house, utterly isolated, its fences gone long ago, rank weeds smothering the very doorsteps, the chimney crumbled to ruin, the window sashes vacant, a corner of the roof caved in. About noon the next day, the boys arrived at the dead tree. They had come for their tools. Tom was impatient to go to the haunted house, Huck was measurably so also, but suddenly said, Look here, Tom, do you know what day it is? Tom mentally ran over the days of the week and then quickly lifted his eyes with a startled look in them. My, I never once thought of it, Huck. Well, I didn't either, but all at once it popped on to me that it was Friday. Blame it, a body can't be too careful, Huck. We might have got into an awful scrape tackling such a thing on a Friday. Might? Better say we would. There's some lucky days, maybe, but Friday ain't. Any fool knows that. I don't reckon you was the first that found it out, Huck. Well, I never said I was, did I? And Friday ain't all, neither. I had a rotten bad dream last night, dreamt about rats. No. Sure sign of trouble. Did they fight? No. Well, that's good, Huck. When they don't fight, it's only a sign there's trouble around, you know. All we gotta do is look mighty sharp and keep out of it. We'll drop this thing for today and play. Do you know Robin Hood, Huck? No. Who's Robin Hood? Why, he was one of the greatest men that was ever in England, and the best. He was a robber. Cracky, I wished I was. Who did he rob? Only sheriffs and bishops and rich people and kings and such like. But he never bothered the poor. He loved them. He always divided up with them perfectly square. Well, he must have been a brick. I bet you he was, Huck. Oh, he was the noblest man that ever was. They ain't any such men now, I can tell you. He could lick any man in England with one hand tied behind him, and he could take his U-bow and plug a ten-cent piece every time a mile and a half. What's a U-bow? I don't know. It's some kind of bow, of course, and if he hit that dime only on the edge, he would sit down and cry and curse. But we'll play Robin Hood. It's knobby fun. I'll learn you. I'm agreed. So they played Robin Hood all the afternoon, now and then casting a yearning eye down upon the haunted house and passing a remark about the morrow's prospects and possibilities there. As the sun began to sink into the west, they took their way homeward athwart the long shadows of the trees and soon were buried from sight in the forests of Cardiff Hill. On Saturday, shortly after noon, the boys were at the dead tree again. They had a smoke and a chat in the shade, and then dug a little in their last hole, not with great hope, but merely because Tom said there were so many cases where people had given up a treasure after getting down within six inches of it, and then somebody else had come along and turned it up with a single thrust of a shovel. The thing failed this time, however, so the boys shouldered their tools and went away feeling that they had not trifled with fortune, but it fulfilled all the requirements that belonged to the business of treasure hunting. 
When they reached the haunted house, there was something so weird and grisly about the dead silence that reigned there under the baking sun, and something so depressing about the loneliness and desolation of the place that they were afraid for a moment to venture in. Then they crept to the door and took a trembling peep. They saw a weed-grown, floorless room, unplastered, an ancient fireplace, vacant windows, a ruinous staircase, and here, there, and everywhere hung ragged and abandoned cobwebs. They presently entered, softly with quickened pulses, talking in whispers, ears alert, to catch the slightest sound and muscles tense and ready for instant retreat. In a little while, familiarity modified their fears, and they gave the place a critical and interested examination, rather admiring their own boldness and wondering at it. Next, they wanted to look upstairs. This was something like cutting off retreat, but they got to daring each other, and of course, there could be but one result. They threw their tools into a corner and made the ascent. Up there were the same signs of decay. In one corner they found a closet that promised mystery, but the promise was a fraud. There was nothing in it. Their courage was up now and well in hand. They were about to go down and begin work when... Shh, said Tom. What is it? whispered Huck, blanching with fright. Shh, there. Hear it. Yes, oh my. Let's run. Keep still. Don't you budge. They're coming right toward the door. The boys stretched themselves upon the floor with their eyes to the knot holes in the planking and lay waiting in a misery of fear. They've stopped. No, coming. Here they are. Don't whisper another word, Huck. My goodness, I wish I was out of this. Two men entered. Each boy said to himself, There's the old deaf and dumb Spaniard that's been about town once or twice lately. Never saw a t'other man before. T'other was a ragged, unkempt creature, with nothing very pleasant in his face. The Spaniard was wrapped in a serape. He had bushy white whiskers, long white hair flowed under from his sombrero, and he wore green goggles. When they came in, T'other was talking in a low voice. They sat down on the ground, facing the door with their backs to the wall, and the speaker continued his remarks. His manner became less guarded and his words more distinct as he proceeded. No, said he, I've thought it all over, and I don't like it. It's dangerous. Dangerous, grunted the deaf and dumb Spaniard to the vast surprise of the boys. Milksop. This voice made the boys gasp and quake. It was Injun Joe's. There was silence for some time. Then Joe said, What's any more dangerous than that job up yonder? But nothing's come of it. That's different. Away up the river so, and not another house about. Won't ever be known that we tried anyway as long as we didn't succeed. Well, what's more dangerous than coming here in the daytime? Anybody would suspicion us that saw us. I know that, but there weren't any other places handy after that fool of a job. I want to quit this shanty. I wanted to yesterday, only it weren't any use trying to stir out of here with those infernal boys playing over there on the hill right in full view. Those infernal boys quaked again under the inspiration of this remark, and thought how lucky it was that they had remembered it was Friday, and concluded to wait a day. 
They wished in their hearts they had waited a year. The two men got out some food and made a luncheon. After a long and thoughtful silence, Injun Joe said, Look here, lad. You go back up the river where you belong. Wait here till you hear from me. I'll take the chances on dropping into this town just once more for a look. We'll do that dangerous job after I've spied around a little and think things look well for it. Then for Texas, we'll leg it together. This was satisfactory. Both men presently fell to yawning, and Injun Joe said, I'm dead for sleep. It's your turn to watch. He curled down in the weeds and soon began to snore. His comrades stirred him once or twice, and he became quiet. Presently, the watcher began to nod. His head drooped lower and lower. Both men began to snore now. The boys drew a long, grateful breath. Tom whispered, Now's our chance. Come. Huck said, I can't. I'd die if they was to wake. Tom urged. Huck held back. At last, Tom rose slowly and softly and started alone. But the first step he made wrung such a hideous creak from the crazy floor that he sank down, almost dead with fright. He never made a second attempt. The boys lay there counting the dragging moments till it seemed to them that time must be done and eternity growing gray. And then they were grateful to note that at last the sun was setting. Now one snore ceased. Engine Joe sat up, stared around, smiled grimly upon his comrade, whose head was drooping upon his knees, stirred him up with his foot, and said, Here, you're a watchman, ain't you? All right, though, nothing's happened. My, have I been asleep? Oh, partly, partly. Nearly time for us to be moving, pard. What do we do with that little swag we've got left? I don't know. Leave it here as we've always done, I reckon. No use to take it away till we start south. Six hundred and fifty in silver something to carry. Well, all right. It won't matter to come here once more. No, but I'd say come in the night as we used to do. It's better. Yes, but look here. It may be a good while before I get the right chance at that job. Accidents might happen. Tain't in such a very good place. We'll just regularly bury it and bury it deep. Good idea, said the comrade, who walked across the room, knelt down, raised one of the rearward hearthstones, and took out a bag that jingled pleasantly. He subtracted from it twenty or thirty dollars for himself, and as much for Injun Joe, and passed the bag to the latter, who was on his knees in the corner now, digging with his bowie knife. The boys forgot all their fears, all their miseries, in an instant. With glowing eyes, they watched every movement. Luck! The splendor of it was beyond all imagination. Six hundred dollars was money enough to make half a dozen boys rich. Here was the treasure hunting under the happiest auspices. There would not be any bothersome uncertainty as to where to dig. They nudged each other every moment, eloquent nudges and easily understood, for they simply meant, Oh, but ain't you glad now we're here? Joe's knife struck upon something. Hello, said he. What is it? said his comrade. Half rotten plank. No, it's a box, I believe. Here, bear a hand and we'll see what it's in here for. Never mind, I've broke a hole. He reached his hand in and drew out. Man, it's money. The two men examined the handful of coins. They were gold. 
The boys above were as excited as themselves and as delighted. Joe's comrade said, We'll make quick work of this. There's an old rusty pick amongst the weeds in the corner the other side of the fireplace. I saw it a minute ago. He ran and brought the boys pick and shovel. Engine Joe took the pick, looked it over critically, shook his head, muttered something to himself, and then began to use it. The box was soon unearthed. It was not very large. It was iron-bound and had been very strong before the slow years had injured it. The men contemplated the treasure a while in blissful silence. Pard, there's thousands of dollars here, said Injun Joe. "'Twas always said that Merle's gang used to be around here one summer, the stranger observed. I know it, said Injun Joe, and this looks like it, I should say. Now you won't need to do that job. The half-breed frowned, said he. You don't know me. At least you don't know all about that thing. Taint robbery altogether. It's revenge.' and a wicked light flamed in his eyes. I'll need your help in it. When it's finished, then Texas. Go home to your Nance and your kids, and stand by till you hear from me. Well, if you say so, what do we do with this? Bury it again? Yes, ravishing delight overhead. No, by the great sachem, no, profound distress overhead. I'd nearly forgot. That pick had fresh earth on it. The boys were sick with terror in a moment. What business has a pick and a shovel here? What business with fresh earth on them? Who brought them here, and where are they gone? Have you heard anybody? Seen anybody? What, bury it again and leave them to come and see the ground disturbed? Not exactly, not exactly. We'll take it to my den. Why, of course. Might have thought of that before. You mean number one? No. Number two, under the cross. The other place is bad, too common. All right, it's nearly dark enough to start. Injun Joe got up and went about from window to window, cautiously peeping out. Presently he said, Who could have brought those tools here? Do you reckon they can be upstairs? The boy's breath forsook them. Injun Joe put his hand on his knife, halted a moment, undecided, and then turned toward the stairway. The boys thought of the closet, but their strength was gone. The steps came creaking up the stairs. The intolerable distress of the situation woke the stricken resolution of the lads. They were about to spring for the closet when there was a crash of rotten timbers, and Injun Joe landed on the ground amid the debris of the ruined stairway. He gathered himself up, cursing, and his comrade said, Now what's the use of all that? If it's anybody, and they're up there, let them stay there. Who cares? If they want to jump down now and get into trouble, who objects? It'll be dark in fifteen minutes, and then let them follow us if they want to. I'm willing. In my opinion, whoever hove those things in here caught a sight of us and took us for ghosts or devils or something. I'll bet they're running yet. Joe grumbled a while, and then he agreed with his friend that what daylight was left ought to be economized in getting things ready for leaving. Shortly afterward, they slipped out of the house in the deepening twilight and moved toward the river with their precious box. Tom and Huck rose up, weak but vastly relieved, and stared after them through the chinks between the logs of the house. Follow? Not they. They were content to reach ground again without broken necks and take the townward track over the hill. They did not talk much. They were too much absorbed in hating themselves 
hating the ill luck that made them take the spade and the pick there. But for that, Injun Joe never would have suspected. He would have hidden the silver with gold to wait there till his revenge was satisfied, and then he would have had the misfortune to find that money turn up missing. Bitter, bitter luck that the tools were ever brought there. They resolved to keep a lookout for that Spaniard when he should come to town spying out for chances to do his revengeful job and follow him to number two, wherever that might be. Then a ghastly thought occurred to Tom. Revenge? What if he means us, Huck? Oh, don't, said Huck, nearly fainting. They talked it over, and as they entered town they agreed to believe that he might possibly mean somebody else, at least that he might at least mean nobody but Tom, since only Tom had testified. Very, very small comfort it was to Tom to be alone in danger. Company would be a palpable improvement, he thought. Thank you so much for joining me for another relaxing literature podcast. If you are enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting to help me improve the quality you can find me at patreon.com forward slash relaxing literature, along with a list of the many benefits you'll receive for being a patron at only $5 a month. You can also support me by rating, subscribing, and reviewing at your podcast platform of choice. Please also find me on Instagram at relaxing literature or on Twitter at relaxing lit. A-S-M-R to leave your comments, questions, or suggestions on what you'd like me to read next. Thank you so much for listening.